History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spectacular people welcome to this 519th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i'm your host diane and this is kelly kelly on this episode we're going to ohio again we've been hitting a lot in ohio lately <laughs> we sure have both on the free feed and also for our bonus cast because there's a lot of haunted stuff there this one is a very well-known landmark it's been on the list for a long time and i've just kept pushing it off and pushing it off but i thought you know what 2024 is its year the Franklin Castle. Looking forward to it. I've seen photos and it looks beautiful. Oh man, this is such a great piece of architecture out there. The only problem with it is it's got a lot of rumors connected to it that are completely false and that's pretty much everything that's out there that people know about it. We're going to be correcting a lot of the falsities when it comes to its history. There definitely seems to be some hauntings going on here. Before we get into sharing that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Rick Rumbles the Cat and Baby Blue. <laughs> I think those are a couple of kitties. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jamie and Morgan. Thank you so much for joining the Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers with reference to Paul C. Rogers' studies. Approximately one mile southwest of Fish Lake in Utah, one can find an extraordinary specimen of botany. This is the pando tree. It spans approximately 106 acres, and it is referred to as a singular tree, although its entirety consists of over 40,000 individual trees. Pando in Latin means I spread. This forest of trees emanates from an original single seed with new shoots emerging from its root system, essentially making each individual tree a clone of the original. So, relatively speaking, Pando is one giant organism weighing in around 13 million pounds. Pando's species of tree is known as the quaking aspen. Some aspens produce asexually through spreading root systems where suckers emerge from the roots creating stands of trees that are genetically identical. Pando's specific age is difficult to calculate, but it is believed to have sprouted at the end of the last ice age. However, one thing is for sure, an astounding acreage of aspens all assembled from one single seed certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! <laughs> and now, this month in history. In 
the month of January on the 6th in 1975, The Wheel of Fortune premiered. The NBC daytime game show was originally hosted by Chuck Woolery and actor Susan Stafford, who turned the letters. The show was one of the longest-running syndicated game shows in America. Created by Merv Griffin, The Wheel of Fortune was designed to combine roulette and hangman. As most are familiar, contestants guess letters to solve the word puzzle. Since the show's creation, buying a vowel has remained a constant price at $250. In addition to being the longest-running American game show, Wheel also boasts the longest-running host. Pat Sajak, who will be retiring in September of 2024, has been hosting Wheel of Fortune since 1981. His co-host, Vanna White, has been working with Sajak since 1982. White recently re-upped her contract with the game show through the 2025 to 2026 season. Wheel has become such an iconic game show that phrases spoken by its contestants such as I would like to buy a vowel and I'd like to solve the puzzle are a part of the American lexicon today. Cleveland's Franklin Castle is not really a castle, but is actually a glorious Victorian mansion named for the street upon which it sits. The former Tiedemann residence is cloaked in rumors and innuendo that has led it to famously being known as the most haunted house in Ohio. Many people have passed through the doors here from bankers to smugglers to members of the German Socialist Party, mediums, investigators, and priests. Tours and overnight stays are hosted, and many guests claim that the moniker of Most Haunted is appropriate. Getting to the truth about this property isn't easy. Join us for the history and hauntings of Franklin Castle. The city of Cleveland was no stranger to wealthy families, and for good reason, because the city was one of the five main oil refining centers in the U.S., and Standard Oil would get its start here. Listeners may recall, in episode 352, we featured Cleveland's Millionaire Row along Euclid Avenue. This is where most of the richest men in Ohio lived. Franklin Boulevard was known as the West Side's Euclid Avenue to give you guys an idea of the wealth of this street as well. I saw it referenced in some places as Millionaire's Row, and I was like, wait a minute, we already did Cleveland's Millionaire's Row. How can there be two of them? (laughs) So it's just this one had a lot of wealthy people on it as well, just not as many as Euclid Avenue. A point of interest along this boulevard is the Franklin Circle Christian Church, which was built in 1878. But the congregation has had a presence here since 1848. One of the pastors in 1857 was James A. Garfield. Yes, That James Garfield, future 20th president of the United States. Oh, my. I had no idea that he'd been a pastor. (laughs) Did you? No, I did not. Went from being a pastor to a president. Pretty big step up. The Franklin Castle has also been known as the Tiedemann House because that family were the original owners. Hannes Tiedemann was born in 1833 in Prussia. 
His father passed in 1846, and two years later, he emigrated to New York with his mother and five siblings. Tiedemann got work as a barrel maker in Royalton, Ohio, in 1850, and he eventually moved to Cleveland, where he worked as a clerk for a wholesale grocer. There, he learned the business, and in 1864, he joined forces with another man named John Christian Weidman and opened the wholesale grocery firm Weidman and Tiedemann. They were incredibly successful, and Hannes became a rich man. Just two years before this, he married Louisa Hawk, and the couple would have six children. They moved into a house where the future Franklin Castle would be built in 1866. This house was known as Bachelor's Hall and had been also owned by Alonzo Wolverton. Hannes's mother, Rebecca, moved in with the family as well. All right, so here's where we're going to get into some weirdness when it comes to the history. The Tienemans lost three children in infancy before 1873. Nearly every website about the hauntings at Franklin Castle claim that these three children died at the castle. But that is impossible because the castle wasn't built yet. Now, the Franklin Castle is going to be on the same property as Bachelor's Hall. And I can only imagine what his wife thought about them moving into a place called Bachelor's Hall. (laughs) Right. This is the same property. The castle that's going to be built is going to be built over part of where Bachelor's Hall had been. So the three children did die on the property, but nowhere did I find it specified that. Everything just said at the castle. And so that's initially what I thought, but I always like to go to the cemetery and look at the records there so I can get a feel for like when somebody was born. And upon going over there and looking at stuff and seeing, you know, what age were these kids when they passed away, I was like, wait a minute, they all died before the castle was built. They couldn't have died at the castle. I'm not sure what the children died of, but you can imagine how devastating that must have been to have three of your children out of six die in infancy. Of course. Hannes added banker to his list of accomplishments in the 1880s, and he decided to build a house fitting of his expanding position and wealth in the Cleveland community. The Franklin Castle was started in 1881. It's designed by architects Kudel and Richardson in the Queen Anne Victorian style and took two years to complete. I couldn't find anywhere if they remained living in the Bachelor's Hall for a period of time while the castle was being built, if they raised Bachelor's Hall and they lived somewhere else because they did have another house that was on a lake. So I don't know if they went and lived there while they were waiting for this to get done, if they lived in it while it was being completed, because, you know, some people did live, their houses were so big that they could live in part of it while the rest of it was being finished. The exterior was made from sandstone with 80 windows, and the house had four stories and a corner tower. The interior featured 20 rooms, a ballroom, and a wine cellar. Before the castle was completed, the Tienemann's 15-year-old daughter, Emma, died. The story was that she passed from complications of diabetes, but some believe that something else happened here. Rumors circulated that she had hanged in the attic. It is claimed that she died in the castle, but we don't know if that's true since the house wasn't completed yet. Because she passed in 1881, and that's when they started the castle. But I did hear from people that she died on the property. So that's why I don't know. Was there still a house here while they were building the castle? And the castle's in part of its footprint. So I know they had to take it down before they finished the castle. And then this rumor about her dying from something else, like being hanged in the attic, there's nothing to back that up. Dying of diabetes makes a lot of sense. 15-year-old girl, we're back in the late 1800s. Managing that kind of thing is hard to do nowadays, so I can only imagine back then sure, the kind of complications you would have. We have yeah. a son who has it, so we know a little bit about that. 
Within a month, Hannes's mother had passed away from natural causes. This is said to have been in the house too, but again, the castle wasn't completed. So I don't know if it was on this property or not. So at this point, I don't know that anybody has died on this property. Even the children dying in infancy, I don't know if they died in the house. So we don't know if anybody from that family died in the castle. It's more likely just on the property, whether it's in the original footprint of where the castle was built or a portion of Bachelor's Hall. Exactly. Okay. Until this point. (laughs) (laughs) Until this. Deaths would continue when Hannes's wife, Louisa, passed from liver disease in 1895, and she did die in the castle. So we have one confirmed death in the castle. As to whether Hannes was heartbroken by this development, we will never know, although he did sell the castle within a year of his wife's death. So clearly the mansion they had shared lost its luster. Hannes is a tragic figure. He had six children, and all of them passed in his lifetime. So he watched his entire family die before he passed. He was also said to be a generous man in the community. Yeah, so we didn't put down the dates of the two children who were still remaining alive, but when I went and looked at the cemetery records, they died a couple years before their father. So he literally lost his entire family before he passed. So tragic. Yeah. The legacy of his life is clouded with rumors and innuendo that are perpetuated by nearly every article or show about the house. There were stories that he wasn't a faithful husband and that he had carried on affairs with servants and other women in town. One tale claimed that Hannes had strangled a servant girl named Rachel because she intended to marry. None of these claims have any proof. Hannes married again shortly after his wife's death, but that marriage lasted only a year before they divorced. Hannes died in 1908 all alone. He sold the castle to the Mulhauser family. The Mulhauser family lived in the castle for around 17 years, and they sold it to the German Socialist Party in 1913. This development would spark more rumors that can't be verified about the mansion. Nazis were harbored here, and there are claims that around 20 people were killed in the house over political disagreements. Clearly, there could have been Nazi sympathizers here based on ownership. But as to murders, there is no proof. The German Socialist Party promoted this as a culture center, and it continued that way until 1968. So I think listeners are getting a feel for the fact that this location has a lot of legends connected to it that have just grown and grown over the years. Kind of like the game of telephone. And they all seem to have started with the next occupants of the castle. The house was sold to the Romano family in 1968, and there were so many weird things happening in the house, at least according to them, that they had a priest come in and conduct an exorcism. Apparently, this didn't work, and the family was gone by 1974, and the house would begin passing through many owners. Sam Muscatello was the next owner, and he embraced the haunted reputation growing around the castle. He opened it to tours and ghost hunts, and he embellished the legends of the house claiming that there were secret tunnels and passageways, and that he'd found bones. Many people believe he planted the bones himself, because indeed there are newspaper articles talking about these bones being found in the walls of the castle. Ah, We're just not sure how they got there. Sam sold the house to a doctor who quickly sold to Richard Hongisto, the Cleveland police chief at the time. He and his wife only managed a year in the castle before selling to George Merserta, who also opened the house to tours. He got the house placed on the National Register of Historic Places, 
1982. So you're getting this feeling that people don't stay in this house for very long. In the mid-1980s, Michael Davinko, Judy Garland's last husband, bought the castle and he renovated it so that he could use it for social events. He managed to find the original blueprints and front door key. I don't know how we got a hold of that, but how cool. Yes. Michelle Heimberger was the next to try her hand at ownership, but her dreams of restoration were put out by a fire in 1999. She didn't have the funds to repair it, so she sold to a group of people who wanted to turn it into a club called the Franklin Castle Club, and that lasted until 2006. Then the castle sat abandoned for a few years. In 2011, Oh Dear Productions, LLC, bought the castle with plans to live on the fourth floor ballroom and open the bottom floors to run as an art gallery. There were other plans put out that the house was going to be broken into apartments. The last thing we found in regards to ownership of the mansion was that the company named Oh Dear Productions, LLC, was merged out of existence and the current owners are named Kit and Pascal. We think they owned Oh Dear Productions. They have been renovating the castle for nearly a decade and had rented out space to New York record company Norton Records. That company was named for Ed Norton of The Honeymooners. I thought that was cute. Yeah, very much so. And has been finding and selling obscure rock and roll music for over 40 years. A creepy website has been built that invites people to tour and stay overnight. Yes, so for a long time, this was considered a private residence and there was no access to it. But I think they figured out, hey, we can make some money here. Cash in on it. Yeah, so why not open this up to people? They want to come in. They want to tour it. And the website is very cool. I encourage people to go check it out. I believe it's the franklincastle.com. And it's, it's pretty creepy. They have a lot of great designs on it and stuff. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. So as we've been saying, many of the legends about the castle are untrue. But rumors of paranormal activity at the Franklin Castle have led to its reputation as one of the most haunted houses in the United States. And there really does seem to be a lot of activity here. People report disembodied footsteps, doors opening and closing on their own, and lights flickering off and on. The incidents that sparked the Romano family to seek religious help included organ music that would play on a regular basis throughout the house, even though the family didn't own an organ. Oh. (laughs) So you don't know where that's coming from. And shortly after moving in, the Romano children came down to the kitchen for snacks of cookies and asked if they could take a cookie up to the little girl crying upstairs. Mrs. Romano dashed upstairs and found no little girl, but the children insisted that a little girl had been up there and that she had been crying. Throughout their tenure, the Romano children would continue to claim that they played with ghost children in the house, specifically this little girl. Could these have been the Tiedemann children who had died in childhood and managed to find their way into the house that their family had later built? Was this Emma? You and I, as we were watching some of the programs that have gone to this location and were hearing these stories, we were like, They keep calling Emma a child. She was 15 years old. I wouldn't think that the Romano children, who were children, like four, six, eight, something like that, generally they're not going to call a 15-year-old girl a little girl. 
Right. Unless somehow she was appearing at a younger age just to not be as frightening to them. Maybe because we we don't know how you appear later on. Like we say, we wonder if you have a choice in what age you appear as. What you get to wear. Exactly. (laughs) So we're not sure who this child is, but clearly the Romano children were seeing her. The priest who performed the exorcism claimed that the house harbored evil spirits. Other ghostly sightings are connected to unfounded legends. A woman in black is thought to be the servant, Rachel, that Tiedemann supposedly murdered. There was a claim that he had also murdered a niece whom he caught in bed with one of his grandsons. She was supposedly only 13 years old. Her spirit has identified as Karen, and many people have claimed to interact with her. Websites claim that 12 baby corpses were found in a secret tunnel, but clearly newspapers would have picked up on this story, so it is unfounded. A doctor had lived in this house for a while, and these were babies he had experimented on, at least according to rumors. One of the creepiest stories was told by a radio host back in the 1970s. He was at the castle to do a special broadcast, and he brought a tape recorder with him. As he walked up the staircase, the tape recorder was ripped from his arms and thrown down the stairs. That was unnerving enough, but when he started to play back the tape that he had recorded the special into, a strange sinister laugh could be heard throughout the entire broadcast. This wasn't something that was heard audibly during the broadcast. By the way, this was a Halloween special. (laughs) Ghost was just trying to add some effects to it. This is another one of those stories where I'm not exactly sure about all the facts around it since it's back in the 1970s. If he broadcasts live from there and then they also taped it and then he was listening to the playback of the tape later for some reason and then that's when he heard it or if they recorded it and then played it later. I can't imagine if people really heard that strange sinister <laughs> laugh through the whole thing. Right. They're probably like, OK, guys, you can turn sure. off the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely very creepy. And as you guys can see, I mean, the stories about this place just get more crazy as you go. Now we've got a doctor who had lived here that was experimenting on babies and walling them up in the walls after he kills them. And those are the bones that supposedly were found. There were no baby's bones found in here. They were human, adult human sized, the ones that were. And I don't know where the guy planted them. Yeah, I don't know where he got them. (laughs) Yeah. Go grave robbing. I don't know. Good question. Many paranormal TV shows have featured this location. Paranormal Lockdown was there in 2016, Ghost Adventures was there in March of 2020, and The Holzer Files was there in November 2020. Nick Groff said that he felt as though whatever was in the castle was feeding off their energy or taking it from them. They caught a disembodied voice telling them to get out. The Holzer Files visited the castle because Hans Holzer visited the castle when the Romano family lived there. Holzer actually visited three times, and every time his equipment malfunctioned. He always took medium Sybil Leek with him, and she couldn't get a reading at the house before she and Hans had to leave. Hans called it a frightful place filled with souls. That's a direct quote. The only thing left behind of the investigations that he had conducted there was one reel of tape. The tape features Hans simply interviewing the family about their experiences. He wasn't trying to collect any paranormal evidence at the time, and yet there is the voice of a little girl on the tape. Supposedly, there was no little girl in the room at the time of the recording. The Romanos had young girls, so we have to believe that none of them was making any noise in the background. It did sound like an EVP to me, just the tone of what they captured. And it kind of sounded like a whimper. Right. I agree. 
although um, we are going to talk about it in just a minute here. It was deciphered as maybe a different kind of word, but you and I just heard what sounded like a whimper. Medium Cindy Kaza picked up on a woman who wanders the house, and she was hearing that the kids were suffering and the kids were crying quite a bit. Then she did her trademark automatic writing. For people who don't know, Cindy's form of being a medium is that she doesn't really go into a trance, but she kind of lets the spirits talk through her with automatic writing. And so she just takes a marker in and a legal pad and just starts scribbling away. She picked up that this isn't a regular haunting. And there was something like black magic or satanic rituals, and she felt very nauseous. Cindy had to get out. Equipment supervisor Shane Pittman went down into the basement, and he was pushed by something he couldn't see, and then later an ice-cold energy seemed to pass through him, and it chilled him to his core. One of the Romano's daughters, Dee, joined Dave Schrader for an interview. She was four years old when the family moved in, and she clearly remembered playing with a little girl who lived in the house. She had blonde hair and wore a Victorian-era dress. She was never happy and was always crying. The little girl would say that she was waiting for her mother, so she seemed to feel abandoned. Dee said that her mom had rented out the fourth floor to some college students, and one day she found a spirit board up there. This possibly was what Cindy was picking up on. Dee also said that the third time Hans visited, that her mother told him to get out, and she remembered her being very upset for a couple of months after that. He was never invited back. In the end, the legends were debunked and the crew felt they had communicated with Emma for sure. What was interesting is Dave has a daughter who's a teenager that also has diabetes. And so he recorded her asking questions of Emma and, you know, explaining to her, I have the same issue. And they actually captured an EVP, which again sounded like a young woman or girl. Sounded very similar to the original one that they shared previously. Yeah, another little whimper kind of thing. And Dave Schrader, the original one, when they kind of amplified it, because this is a tape that is from the 1970s. It's really scratchy, but they cleaned it up enough that he felt it was saying, Daddy, I didn't get that at all. I just got whimpering. But they both sounded very similar. Yeah, it it was a two-syllable thing, so it could have been daddy, mommy, mm-hmm. 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 I mean, there were, you know, it was just that, that tone of a little girl. Yeah. They weren't exactly the same, though, because then I would be going, did they just grab that little piece of audio and insert it? Because that's well, very true. easy to do. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was different. different, but... Different, but similar. Different, but the same tone. So it sounded like the same spirit or person. And I really liked the way they conducted this investigation because Dave Schrader went in there and wanted to get the real history. And when they found it out, then he was like, well, why was Cindy picking up on stuff that is actually connected to the legends? And what they deduced is, you know, when we talk about tulpas, if you have enough people coming into a place that think that there's evil spirits there or that this has happened there and they keep asking questions around that, Maybe they have left some kind of a psychic imprint on the place. And that might even be why it's so haunted is because the spirits that are there are not happy about the lies being told. That and or they just manifest things through their their thoughts and actions. Mm -hmm. And D, it got very heated towards the end of the episode because she did not like them debunking all of that history because that's what her mother had told her. So I think she was getting defensive because she's like, did my mother just make that stuff up? 
I well, think we is, can only surmise that that's yes. what she was thinking, but she definitely was defensive. Yes, <laughs> she was argumentative with them, and Dave was trying to tell her this: there's no proof for it. And you know, she was saying, "Well, you know, things disappear," and da 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 da. And I'm like, "Yeah, but he wasn't like a he was a rich man and well liked in the community, but I don't think to a point where there would be some big conspiracy cover up to make sure nobody knows about what he was doing in there." So I really like that because we're going to contrast that with Ghost Adventures going to the house. Oh, boy. Which they did before. They would have done this a few months before the Holzer files because they both went in 2020, a few months apart from each other. Historian Bill Creechy lived in the castle during the winter and he hosted the crew from Ghost Adventures. We liked this guy. He was clearly angry about Hannes being dragged through the mud. And most of these stories started in the 1980s because of what he said was a medium. She claimed that Hannes told her that he had murdered several people and where he had committed these acts. I don't know if this was the medium who Hans Holzer brought with him, if it was some other medium, or if it's actually the Romano mother that we're going back to, or if this was a medium who came in after that. As we've covered here, too, they had a lot of owners who offered tours of the castle. So I don't know if she was somebody who came through during that time, but then now we have some of the stuff that came out from her, too. Zach actually got argumentative with a historian, and he clearly wanted to believe that Hannes killed somebody and hid the body in the wall. <laughs> Thanks for a better TV show. Exactly. I mean, he wanted... <laughs> it's, it's just, you know... If you think about it and you're on TV and you want to really drum up, whoa, my gosh, this place is so evil and it's so creepy and all this horrible stuff happened here. It's like the murder castle, you know, in Chicago. No, none of that happened. So I'm like, he's arguing with the historian. <laughs> I think that guy knows what he's talking about. Plus, he lives in the house, so he's not afraid to be in the house. So there's probably not something evil in there that would be driving him out. Then Zach went on to excitedly claim that he had heard another story connected to the family, that Hannes and Louise's son, Carl, had committed suicide in 1929 by jumping off a bridge. And I went, wait a minute, what is he even talking about? So I went back and I looked at the cemetery records again because I'm like, no, Hannes' children all died before he died. And so nobody could be alive in 1929 that was their child. <laughs> Good grief. And this is, of course, after the historian had told him that all of the Tiedemann children had died before Hannes had died in 1908. So he's literally just been told that information. Then he's like, okay, well, that guy debunked everything, but I've got something new here. Here's the story behind that, because then I went to find the newspaper article that he was referencing, because I'm like, okay, what is going on here? This guy does have the last name Tiedemann. He did jump off of a bridge. So when I went in and actually looked at everything, again, I went to the cemetery records, which is so easy to do. Just go to find a grave. So I find out, obviously, they did not have a son named Carl. A simple search revealed that Carl was the grandson of Hannes and the son of August, who was Hannes's and Louise's son. So their son, August, had Carl. We don't know why Carl committed suicide. A newspaper article does reveal the bizarre circumstances, but we don't think it was due to some curse on the family or the castle because that's what Zach was trying to put out there. Is there's a curse on this family. That's why all their children died and da-da-da-da. No, it was called the 1800s and a lot of children died. But apparently, Carl got into an accident on the bridge. He got out, told everybody, I'm sorry, I'll take care of it, and then went off the bridge. Whether he oh. actually jumped or fell, fell, nobody knows, but it was ruled a suicide. So I don't huh. know what the coroner knew about the situation. It just seems really weird that you get in an accident and then you jump off of a bridge. 
I wonder if he hit his head or something and... Maybe. He was disoriented. I mean, I feel like it was an accident. Right. Zach also talked about the fire that happened when Michelle Heimberger owned the place. A man had set multiple fires inside and claimed he was trying to destroy the evil spirits inside. Which, again, could just be someone who is mentally ill and setting fires in a house. A former resident of the home named Helen Mercetta told Zach that she was pushed down the second floor stairs multiple times. She said she felt depressed and sad in the castle, and she felt much better after they moved out. Her husband heard the cries of babies inside the walls. They placed an old tape recorder in a closet to see if they could capture the sounds, and they caught an EVP of an angry man and a girl screaming. Which, of course, lends credence to the legends that we don't have any other proof of. Right. There was a sound of slapping also. Zach Webb lived in the castle in the summer of 2018, and he said he had many vivid dreams of an elderly lady questioning him about a murder in the castle. Which, again, he's having dreams. Has nothing necessarily to do with paranormal. The crew did experience an interesting interaction with the spirit box. They asked for a name and got, it's Richard. It was very clear. It's hmm. very cool. Very clear. They asked how many spirits were in the castle and got 17. That was also very clear. Another spirit identified itself as Lester. Aaron felt some energy come up behind him, and then the box said, run. Dude, run. (laughs) I literally almost said that. That's ghost hunters. (laughs) A female voice said to, help Richard. They caught a weird shadow figure, and Zach felt like something was trying to push him down some stairs. They felt like most of the haunting stuff was psychological. Which makes it easy if you don't have any actual evidence (laughs) to say everything happened to us personally on a psychological level. So, Which totally can happen because we've experienced that too. Or we come out of a haunted location and we're like, we have no evidence to show anybody, but we definitely had something happen. Right. Experiences can just speak for themselves, but it's always personal. But there sounds like there's a lot of legends connected to this location. Yeah. And because of that, it's like people are leading. It's kind of like when you have somebody who's doing a scientific experiment and they have a conclusion they want to reach and then they gauge the experiment towards that conclusion. Yes, indeed. Same thing here. There may have been liquor smuggling going on when the German club was here. Tour guides tell stories of having a secret passageway that kept popping open and this had once hidden a still. The first to report this was a tour guide back in 1975 and he told the story to the plane dealer. And a picture was shared revealing the secret area. I will put that up on Instagram. A paper boy was delivering a paper to the castle when he watched a woman in white come through the door and float towards him. A young female ghost has been seen standing in an upstairs window, and this is thought to be Emma. And then I have this book, Haunted Cleveland, which was written by Beth A. Richards and Chuck L. Gove back in 2015. And they share some stories in there that I want to share with our listeners. There was a time before they were allowing investigators to come in here that they were both invited to spend the night in the castle and they were going to do this with the guy that they referenced as being the developer. I don't know which owner specifically this was, but it was somebody who wanted to develop the house into something else. And this is Beth writing. She said, the developer and I fell asleep pretty quickly, but Chuck had a harder time. And just when he started dozing off, he heard a man and woman conversing softly in the hallway off the room. Wondering what the developer and I were talking about, Chuck got up and headed to the hallway. In doing so, he suddenly realized that I wasn't talking. He had stepped over me. The developer also wasn't talking as he was sound asleep a couple feet away and no one else was in the house. 
As the hair on the back of his neck stood up, he realized that we were still alone, so doing what any intelligent person in that situation would do, he pulled a sleeping bag over his face and tried desperately to pretend it hadn't happened. (laughs) That's our protection. It's like pulling your sheets up. You got a sleeping bag, you pull that up too. When the radio hosts and crew showed up to start the live show, they decided it would be funny to play a trick on me and bring out a Ouija board. I told one of the hosts that I hate Ouija boards and will not be in a room where one is being used. When they got started, I went outside. They asked a question of the board and lost their live feed to the station, both the backup and the regular one. Oh. And this is something Hans Holzer had equipment issues all the time. The Holzer files, when they were in there, batteries were draining like crazy. So there's definitely something that is drawing off the energy of the electrical equipment and such. Sure. They regained the feed and continued to ask questions, but then they again lost the feed. Just as they regained it, there was a loud crashing noise upstairs, and they wisely decided to stop using the Ouija board. Good idea. (laughs) As far as I know, The Holzer Files is the last paranormal TV show to go in there. And one of the things that Dave Schrader did is he did bring out a Ouija board, and he said, I don't know that any of the Ouija sessions that have been run in this house have ever been closed properly. So we're going to do that right now. So they did do like an official closing kind of thing to make sure that they kind of cut that off. And that was the other thing I forgot. I didn't put it in the notes, but something seemed to manifest behind Shane while they were doing that. Yeah. That they caught on camera. It was some kind of white misty thing that looked like the shape of a young girl. Right. It was the right size. Yeah. So I don't know if it was a trick that they were playing, but it was it was pretty weird. Beth said, I had my own experience at the castle on one of our tours. I was standing in the backyard sharing stories about the castle with some of our guests. They were standing in front of me in a semicircle when all of a sudden I was pushed from behind, not terribly hard, but enough to get my attention and move me forward a step or two. At first I thought I'd been bumped into by another guest, but the look of shock on the faces of the people I was talking to was enough to tell me that whatever had pushed me couldn't be seen. So they probably just saw her go flying forward and they're like, what in the world's going on? If it were me, you'd just go, huh, that's Kelly. She's not graceful. (laughs) We did a tour for a local radio station one year, and as a surprise, we arranged for them to go into Franklin Castle. They were so excited, but as the tour went on, their excitement turned into uneasiness. Chuck was walking behind the tour, and he said, for some reason, the floorboards started moving, basically bouncing up and down. That's weird. We had been in the castle many times, and even though the house was in a state of disrepair, the floors were still quite solid, and this had never happened on any of our other tours. Apparently, the spirits inside the castle did not appreciate a late-night visit. Chuck said the people in front of him turned around and told him to stop making the floor move because it wasn't funny, and he tried to tell them it wasn't him, but they weren't buying it. (laughs) I never heard anyone complain of this activity again on any of our other tours, so maybe the spirits didn't get the response they wanted. One night, while getting ready to take a group inside for their tour, I found myself talking to the developer's mother, a very down-to-earth lady, and she said, Hey, Beth, I have a story for you. If you've got the mother has a story for you, you know it's going to be good. (laughs) We were up in the ballroom talking about the plans for the castle, and we started down the stairs, and something put its hand on my shoulder and gave me a little shove, not enough to push me down, just enough to get my attention. She told me then that she told her son that maybe whoever was still in the house didn't care for the plans he had for it. I will say, the restoration that's been done to it now, it's gorgeous inside. Nice. On another tour of Franklin Castle, I had taken the group down to the cellar and we were standing in the servants' area by the hidden staircase for the front door. In some houses, people know that there was like a back staircase that was smaller that servants would take food up and down from the kitchen to the dining room and that kind of thing. It would be, or they could come down from their rooms because usually they were on the top floor 
and they wouldn't be seen by anybody. Well, there were some houses where there was a door that looked like it would be like a closet near where we would have our coat closets today. Right. But it was actually a hidden staircase. So this isn't some, oh my gosh, it's a secret passageway that they built to (laughs) do some kind of nefarious thing. It was a servant's passageway that came up so that they could answer the door without disturbing the people of the house. Yeah, not that unusual for the times. Yeah. And it's really cool when you look down there because, I mean, it's like, oh, what is that? Because you are like, oh, it's a secret (laughs) passageway. And at least the TV show I was watching, it looked creepy because it was unrestored. So it had like the bricks still there. And they said at the time, back in the day, it would have had nice wallpapering. It would have looked like a very nice staircase. It would have had a railing and that kind of thing. Just wasn't restored. And then people's imaginations run amok. Yeah. So this is what she's referencing is this little hidden staircase. This room also had a fireplace in it, and hanging above the fireplace was a mirror. People were busy snapping pictures all around the room and getting a million orbs in each photo. I felt bad, but I had to tell them that the orbs were probably just dust. (laughs) I'm sure, especially if you're getting a lot of them. However, there was one photo that caught my eye. In the corner of the mirror, there was a smoky figure that resembled a dog or a wolf. This room had nothing on the walls that resembled anything like what was in the picture. There was no mist or smoke of any kind visible to the naked eye that could form this figure, so I could only stare at the picture and move slowly away from the mirror. Interesting. Again, it's a picture in a mirror. You might get some weird, if it's an older mirror, some weird shading or whatever, but yeah, pretty creepy. Chuck stopped in and was talking with the construction crew. He told the man in charge about some of the experiences we had in the house, and the man turned to the crew and told one of the guys to come over and tell Chuck about his experiences. The young man told Chuck that he had been working in the ballroom when all of a sudden a brick flew across the room and almost hit him. This happened to him twice while in the ballroom. Perhaps the spirit of the young lady who is reported to have been hanged in the ballroom found the constant activity annoying. Of course, we know there was nobody hanged in the ballroom. But it could be one of the family members is just annoyed. We've got renovations going on. Maybe it's not looking the way that they had it. We know sometimes spirits get a little upset when you're not remodeling the house the way they want it. Right. Franklin Castle is mired in false legends that continue to be perpetrated by investigators. The truth, though, is tragic enough to leave a psychic impression on the castle. Emma passed as a teenager and seems to be separated from her mom and unable to get to her even though Louisa died on the property, too. Is the Franklin Castle haunted? That is for you to decide. Looks like a very cool building. And now that you can do overnights. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know I keep saying this. We are going to get up to Ohio one of these days because there's so much stuff to do there. We're going to have to make sure we have a lot of time because there's a lot to see. And this is definitely one of the places I want to see. At least it's in Cleveland. So there's a lot of places to hit all together in Cleveland. Sounds like a plan. Road trip. Road trip, here we come. (laughs) Hopefully. Keep your fingers crossed. 2024 is going to be more lucky for us to be able to travel more. Yes. We'd love to have you travel over to our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or any one of our other social media out there. Please follow us, subscribe to us, or better yet, leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to us. We would greatly appreciate it. Yes, indeed. We greatly appreciate you tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.